Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. I have, uh, regretting a little bit, not advertising this message this morning a little bit more, because it's such an exciting subject that I think we probably would have had most of the county out here for the message this morning. I want to preach to you about persecution. And uh, I'm being sarcastic, if you didn't realize that. I'm not being sarcastic about preaching about persecution. I'm being sarcastic about the fact that most people, when you talk about persecution, aren't all that excited about it. Uh, Yet, it is something that the Bible says a lot about. And uh, we've been... We were, for a while, in our Sunday school series, uh, we, we had started on the Sermon on the Mount, and we got through most of the Beatitudes there. And then with some changes to the uh, Sunday school program, I decided to just kind of carry over that series to the Sunday evening services. And so we started in that. And then uh, the last few weeks, we've been kind of off course with that. Uh, I was out of town, and then we had a missionary in last week. And so my, my intention was to pick up in this series this evening. And as I was studying and preparing for tonight's message, it just kind of kept growing and uh, turned into a two-parter. <laughs> okay, So uh, as I was praying about it, it uh, I really believe that the Lord would have me to uh, preach to you about this this morning But if you're in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 10 through 12. If you're there and able to stand, I'll invite you to do so as we read the word of God together. If you're not able to stand, you can remain seated and that's just fine. Matthew 5, beginning in verse number 10, Jesus says here, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, blessed are ye. You ever stop and consider the fact that it's easy to look at someone else in their situation and say, oh, it's okay, God's going to take care of them. In a general sense, blessed are they which are persecuted. But then Jesus turns and points the finger. He says, blessed are ye. Let's make this personal. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I want to preach to you this morning on blessed in persecution. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, As we look into your word this morning and cover a subject that really probably most all of us in here would rather avoid and not even think about the reality of these things. Lord, we we recognize that this is your word and it is a reality that's happening all around us and could easily become a reality in our lives. And Lord, we thank you for the promises and the truth that you've revealed to us about this subject in your word. And I pray that today as we look into this, that we would find encouragement and comfort from your word, that we would be challenged, Lord, to live righteously and shine as lights in a dark world, that we would live not according to fear, but by faith, lives that are pleasing to you. And Lord, would you help us to remain faithful to you, no matter the circumstances. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. 
as American Christians, we have been very blessed to live our entire lives in religious freedom. We have been very, very blessed. I'm thankful in my life growing up in church and, and uh, you know, being around the Word of God, I've never once, in this country anyway, never once been fearful of what might happen to me because I'm in church or because I'm reading the Bible or because I pray even in a public place. And I've never even really been fearful about what might happen to me uh, for witnessing, passing out tracts, different things like that, not in this country. And I think most of us could probably say the same. Now, it doesn't mean that I've always lived boldly as a Christian, but what I'm saying is I've never lived in fear of repercussions for being obedient to the Lord. And most of us can say that because our nation has experienced really complete religious freedom for the, for the most part for a couple hundred years now plus. And I'm thankful for that. I really am. We've been very blessed. However, the other side of that coin is the freedom that we have lived in has kind of caused us to be a little bit weak and a little bit wimpy in our faith, if we'd be real honest. And I, I know that there is a sentiment among Christians today, myself included at times, that as we look at what's happening in the world we see the very real possibility that the freedoms that we have enjoyed for our entire lives could be taken away from us. That, that is becoming more and more a possibility as you look at what's happening in the world, as you look at the attacks that are happening amongst people who simply stand for truth. I mean, it's, it's obvious to me, and if it's not obvious to you, I'm sorry, but it, but it is a reality that if you are someone who simply believes in basic biblical principles, you are considered to be closed-minded and bigoted and, and ignorant. And quite honestly, there is a large portion of this country that hates you for that. And there are those even in positions of leadership that would love nothing more than to take away from you your rights and freedom to be able to speak truth, to practice at least openly the beliefs that God has given to us through his word. There are many people that are looking to do that. Now listen, that is a concerning thing. As a Christian, it concerns me as a patriot who loves my country and my freedoms, and I love the Constitution. It concerns me. But I think the bigger problem and the bigger issue, if maybe we're not really willing to admit it, but for many of us, the bigger issue is there is a, an underlying fear that if that were to happen in our lifetime or, or that of our children, that the consequences for obeying the Lord and staying true to His Word would be greater than we could bear. Most 
Christians today. I mean, true Bible-believing, born-again Christians, I think most of them are not really ready to die for their faith. I think it would be safe to say probably many of us in this room are not ready to die for our faith. Or maybe let's take that a step back. Maybe that's a little bit extreme. I think many Christians would not be willing or ready to go to prison for their faith. Oh, well, Pastor, I, I'm sure that I, when that time comes, I'm going to be ready, really. I mean, honestly, most of us shrink back when we're mocked and ridiculed for our faith. We don't like to get a door slammed in our face. You know, it upsets us and it hurts our feelings. And I'm just saying that we become kind of soft and fearful about the reality that persecution could come in our lives. We don't like to think about that. It scares us. And there are even those who will go to the point of saying, basically, we know that that's never going to happen in our lifetime because the rapture is going to come before that could ever happen. Tell that to the apostles. Tell that to those who died that throughout the years and during the dark ages were burned at the stake for trying to get the word of God into our hands. Tell that this morning to Christians in China, in North Korea, in Iran, and in different places in the world who are facing, as we speak, very real persecution where it could actually cost someone their life to be bold for Christ. Some of the missionaries we support have this really unique situation where when someone comes to faith in Christ, the biggest hurdle that they have is getting them to get baptized. You know why? Because here in our country, baptism is considered just kind of a religious symbol and, and it's kind of a respectable thing and maybe your friends and families will come and visit. But you know what? In some of these other places like Pakistan and Lebanon and some of these different places where we support missionaries, you know what the price is for that? It could be death. Your own family could turn against you and, and seek to take your life. I mean, this is just a reality that happens in the world all around us. We've just been so shielded and sheltered from it that we don't think that it could ever happen to us. And I'm just here to tell you, friend, not in a way to discourage you in any way, but the reality is that you are not protected from that. It very well could happen to you or to me. And we think of that, we think, oh, I never want to have to face something like that in my life. And yet here Jesus really kind of blows that theory out of the water. Because he, <clears throat> he says, he uses the word here blessed or blessed. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. How, how could this possibly be a good thing? To be, to be blessed, that word blessed, it, it means to be joyful and happy. How could I be joyful about such a difficult situation or circumstance in my life? Look what he says in verse number 12, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Now, <clears throat> I'll admit to you that this is a tough one for me 
Because it's, it's one thing for me to say, you know, if, if, if that ever happens in my life, if I'm ever faced with the ultimatum of, you know, <clears throat> deny my faith or face imprisonment or, uh, you know, deny my faith or face death, I, I trust that God will give me the grace to be faithful to the Lord. That, that's easy enough for me to say. But to actually believe that when that time comes that I'm going to be rejoicing and happy about that, that's a different story. How could I possibly rejoice in this? Well, you see, the Bible actually teaches us some things about persecution. And I want to just uh, share some of these things with you this morning. And I think it will be uh, an encouragement to you. I know so far it's not, okay? But I think these things will be an encouragement to you as we walk through this together. First of all, I want to show you that the Bible tells us that we ought to expect persecution to come. We ought to expect persecution to come. Now, it may not come to you directly, but it is a normal, natural thing in this world, persecution. It has been happening since the time of Christ to God's people. And notice he says, verse number 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In other words, he's speaking in a present tense. 2,000 years ago, there were people that were being persecuted for Christ. Verse number 12, or 11, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. In other words, he's telling his disciples, his apostles, that they ought to expect this because it is going to happen to them. And by the way, of the apostles, obviously Judas being excluded there, the original 12, 10 of the other 11 were killed for their faith. And John, the one who wasn't, was exiled to an island where he couldn't be around his family or friends or familiar surroundings. He was kind of held prisoner to live out his days there. Every single one of his disciples faced persecution. And from that time forward, uh, Christians have been martyred and killed and imprisoned and, 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 and even on a smaller scale, in many places they're belittled. They can't get jobs uh, that, that, they, that they should or be, would be able to get if they didn't live for Christ. And, and these things are, are a reality that have been a reality for Christians from the time of Christ. Hold your place here in, in uh, Matthew 5, but go forward with me if you would to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3, and excuse me, I want you to notice verse number 10 of 2 Timothy 3. Paul here speaking to Timothy says to him in verse 10, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, patience, or purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Verse 11, persecutions afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of all of them the Lord delivered me. But then look at verse number 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Why? Verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Well, what's Paul saying? Everyone who would live godly in Christ Jesus 
who, who, who lives uh, for the glory of God in their life, they will face persecution. And the situation's not getting better. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. That's what he's saying. This is a reality for God's people. Now, again, most of us have never faced real persecution in our lives. Oh, maybe you've got that, you know, that person in your family that looks down upon you or even mocks you for your faith. Or maybe you've been passed over for a promotion at work or something like that because of your faith and obedience to Christ. But, but, but by and large, we've never really faced true persecution. Did you know that there was a time, and I don't know if this is still the case, but there was a time when Christians in China and in Russia were praying for Christians in the United States of America because according to this verse, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, they saw that we were living in comfort and ease and assumed that must mean that we're not living godly. We're not living righteously. You know why? Because righteousness invites opposition. Let me say that again. Righteousness invites opposition. I didn't say morality. You can be a good moral person and go on through life pretty comfortably, but righteousness invites opposition. Why? Because true righteousness exposes unrighteousness. And when true righteousness exposes unrighteousness, in other words, uh, maybe you've experienced this before where, where you're not against anyone, you're not trying to aff afflict anyone or cause any problems, maybe you're not even saying anything about the way someone's living, but just by the very nature of you are trying to live a life pleasing to the Lord, other people around you get convicted by that. You ever experienced that? I have. I had a, a neighbor... <clears throat> uh, couple of weeks ago that offered me a beer, didn't know I was a pastor. And uh, one of the other neighbors mentioned later on in conversation that I'm a pastor and all oh, this neighbor was so embarrassed that they would offer the pastor a beer, you know. Of course, it didn't bother me. I mean, I wasn't trying to be offensive or, you know, I didn't, I didn't point my finger in their face and say, well, you wicked ungodly. I mean, I wouldn't do that, you know. But there's just kind of this understanding, well, this person is trying to live righteously, and, and that makes me uncomfortable. Jesus said, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. He was speaking of himself. Light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You know why people hated Jesus? Not because Jesus wasn't a likable guy. Not because he was just so awful and, and so difficult to be around. People hate Jesus because Jesus is righteous. And when light comes into darkness, it makes people uncomfortable. And here's the thing. I understand there are people out there today in the name of Jesus that are spreading hatred. And, and that bothers me to no end. Because God is love, and Jesus is the example of love, and God's people ought never to spread hatred. However, simply by speaking truth, we're labeled with hate. 
He, oh, you're so hateful. Why? Why, am you, why are you saying I'm hateful? I don't hate anybody, and you ought not to hate anybody. God loves the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You ought to love people no matter where they are, no matter what they've done or where they've been. You ought to love people. But love does not mean you don't speak truth. We are called to speak the truth in love. Oh, you, know, you hate people. Why? Because I believe that God made us in his image male and female. Oh, you hate... I don't hate anybody. I don't hate anybody. But truth is truth. Male, female. God's made it very clear. Oh, you, you hate people. Why? Because I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman? No, I don't hate anybody. I don't think that anybody ought to be mistreated because of their life or their lifestyle, but I do believe that we ought to be able to call sin, sin. I'm just saying, listen, I'm not out in the community and, 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 and trying to beat people over the head with things, but I am going to stand for what's true and what's right, whether or not our society likes it. And there are places in the world today that supposedly are even free countries where to preach like this is against the law. There are places in this country that are trying to make that against the law. Here's the thing. I'm not looking for a fight. And I'm not looking to belittle anyone or make anyone feel bad. But we're going to pre preach the truth and speak the truth. Come what may. Here's the thing. Darkness hates light. Light doesn't hate darkness. Christ doesn't hate people. We don't hate people. But by living righteously, you know what happens? We're welcoming opposition. Because the world today lies in darkness. They lie in wickedness. Listen, that, again, that's not a statement of hatred. It's a statement of truth. I was there. I was among them. I am the least deserving person in this room of the grace of God. How do I know that? Well, I could go into the things that that happened in my life even after God had saved me, even after God had changed my life. And I can look at myself and say, and I talk to God about this all the time, why would you love a sinner like me? Listen, I am no better than anybody. And if you think you are, you don't understand the glory and righteousness of God. But we are, as people, I, again, the world is lying in wickedness. We were there... We've been delivered from it. Now we are called to be ambassadors for Christ, to bring light into a dark world. But don't think that you can do that without upsetting some people along the way. If you are not, if you're the type of person, and, and, and maybe you're like me, just by nature, you're a little bit non-confrontational. I like to please people. I like to be liked. It's easy to become kind of a chameleon and just blend in. Because you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to upset people. But I'm just saying to you this morning that we are called to something more than that. We are to bring the light of the gospel into a dark world as ambassadors for Christ, but knowing full well that that is going to upset some people along the way. It's going to bother some people. 
I've used the example before of the fact that I, when I was a teenager, my bedroom was down in the basement of our house, and I had no windows in that room. And I could sleep in that room at any time of the day because when I'd shut the light off and close the door, it was pitch black dark in there. I mean, the sun could be, it could be high noon, and I'd shut that door, it was pitch black dark. I remember so many times my dad coming in in the morning. You know, the Bible says that he that blesses his neighbor with a loud voice in the morning, you know, should be counted a curse. Man, my dad, he'd come into, into my room, and he'd open the door, and he'd turn the light on, and with the loudest voice I think I've ever heard, good morning, it's time to wake up, you know, and just, oh, man, dad, oh, oh. The light was blinding my eyes. It made me uncomfortable. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted him to turn the light off so I could go back to sleep. I think that's a good illustration of where the world is today. The world is in darkness. We're called to bring the light to them, but light is an irritant to people in darkness. And they'd rather that we just shut it off so they can go back to sleep. But folks, we cannot do that. We can't do that. Because we understand the end of that road. It's destruction. We understand, if, if we really love people, listen, if you love someone and you see their houses on fire and burning down, are you not going to go and wake them and say, get out, you're going to die here. Oh, let me go back to sleep. No, I can't do that. I can't do that. Listen, if we are going to live godly, if we are going to be the light in a dark world, not everyone is going to welcome that. And we have to be okay with that. Because ultimately our desire, listen, you need to get this, our desire ought not to be to please other people. Amen. Paul said, if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Amen. My goal in life shouldn't be to make you happy and to make sure that you like me. That ought not be my goal. My goal needs to be, God, are you pleased with me? We're to expect persecution. Jesus said, you know that if the world hate you, it hated me before it hated you. Hebrews 11 speaks of those who died martyrs' deaths and faced persecution and calls them, it says, of whom the world was not worthy. What a tremendous statement that is. We ought to expect persecution. And then let me go forward a little bit more as we go back to Matthew 5. This one's going to be a little bit strange. We're not only to expect persecution, we are called to embrace persecution. Embrace persecution. Again, verse 12, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Rejoice. When that happens, he says rejoice and be exceeding glad. Now listen to me. Please hear me. That does not mean that we go out looking for trouble. There are people out there that just get a kick out of always being controversial and always trying to be cutting edge and just pushing the boundaries. And there are people, again, who name the name of Christ, but, but they, have, they do not have the spirit of Christ on their life. Hateful, spiteful people. 
We, we don't go out looking for a fight. We don't go looking for problems. But if we're going to live righteously, those things are going to find us. And when that happens, what are we called to do? We're called to rejoice. To count ourselves blessed. How could that be? When hardship comes into my life as a result of speaking the truth, of, of living for Christ, my initial reaction is always going to be to pull back and to just shut my mouth and to stop causing whatever uh, issue it is that's bringing these consequences upon me. But that's not what God's called us to do. He said rejoice. When that happens, start rejoicing. Why? Because he says, great is your reward in heaven. What a, what a statement that is. In fact, I want you to notice what he says here. He says in, in verse number 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now you might read that if you're not careful. You might read that and think that somehow this is something that happens that grants you heaven. That, that if by facing persecution that you receive uh, eternal life or a ticket to heaven. That's not at all what this means. May, let's make this very clear. There's one way to God and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way that you can get to heaven and it's through Jesus and his shed blood. It's not by your works. It's not by a religion. It's not by this church. It's not by anything but the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he died for your sins that he rose again three days later and offers eternal life to all who will turn from their sin to Jesus and place their faith in him. That is salvation. But the statement here, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is an interesting statement. In, in one sense, it's speaking of evidence. Those who are living righteously, it is evident that they are children of God. And, and, and we have that hope of eternal life. And so in that sense, it, it's evidence. If you're living righteously, it's evidence that you are truly, genuinely saved. But it's also a statement of reward, and it's a statement of priorities. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We could say it this way, and we, we do say it this way sometimes. This world is not my home. My reward is not here on this earth. Here's where my reward is. It's in heaven. And heaven, I, I don't want to come across as sounding blasphemous here, but, but can I put it this way and you understand what I'm saying? Heaven belongs to me. <laughs> I belong to it. My conversation is, is in heaven from whence I look for the Savior, but I have an inheritance there. I have some possession there. That's where my home is. You see, the problem is, and, and really one of the reasons, folks, that we hate the idea of persecution is because we have become so comfortable in this world. We think that this is the best that it gets. I want to live my best life here on this earth right now. If you're saved, this is the worst it gets for you. Don't, don't build your mansion here. Don't make this life about you and your pleasure and your happiness. God's provided something better for you. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Live for that. Amen. Understand that regardless of the trials and hardships and even persecution here in this life, we've got something better awaiting us on the other side. 
So he tells us to embrace persecution, rejoice, and be exceeding glad. Go with me to the book of Acts, if you would, please. Acts chapter number 5. And in Acts 5, the, the first church there in Jerusalem really is making waves in Jerusalem. People are being saved, and, and the church is growing by leaps and bounds, and signs and wonders are being done at the hands of the apostles. And uh, a council has been gathered to uh, basically restrict the rights and freedom of the apostles to be able to preach the gospel. And notice it says in verse number 40, and uh, to him they agreed, when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So now they've, they've taken the apostles, they've beaten them, and they've threatened them. Don't you dare speak in the name of Christ anymore. And look at verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to suffer shame and be embarrassed and, and beaten publicly. But look, they, they, here was their perspective. We're going to rejoice in this. Why? Because I'm able to identify with Christ. After all, he suffered for me. And this was their attitude. It's a privilege to be able to suffer for him. Verse 42, and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus. Tonight, Lord willing, we're going to continue in this sermon, but the, the, the continuation is really the gospel in the midst of persecution. Do you know, we, we have in our minds this idea that, boy, if, if we lose our freedoms, I mean, that's the end of the gospel being spread in this nation. No, it's not. The word of God is not bound. God's word and God's will prevails. It's not canceled, as we heard a moment ago. They ceased not to preach and teach Jesus Christ. They just kept doing what they had done all along. Paul said that he was desirous to know the Lord. In Philippians 3, he said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be able to identify with Christ in the good things and even in his pain. I want to know the Lord. So there's a, a, really a call to not only expect persecution, but even to embrace it and then to endure through it. We're going to close with one more scripture, 2 Peter chapter number 2, if you would. 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter spends a lot of time talking about the, uh, how Christians ought to be focused on the coming of the Lord and expecting that we're you know, living in the last days. How do we endure? How, how can we continue to press on in the face of persecution? When it comes, if it comes in our lifetime, if it comes in our children's lifetime, how do we prepare them for that? Here's the, the, the one thing I want to point out to you. There's a lot we could say. 
2 Peter chapter 2, look at verse number 4. It says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared Noah, or and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Boy, we could say a lot about that. But look at verse number 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. You see, <clears throat> the Bible teaches us very clearly that God is able to deliver us and sustain us. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what the landscape's going to be like 10 years from now for Bible-believing Christians in this country. I just don't know. And I'll be honest, I'm not a fatalist, but I don't have real high hopes. But I know this. No matter what, God's in control. The Bible is still true, whether it's popular or not. We are still called to be salt and light in this world. And God is still able to take care of you and me. He's still able to care for us. We have nothing to fear. Commit yourself to Him. Put yourself in God's hand and trust Him. Think of Noah. That's what he pointed our attention to Noah, right? I mean, things got so bad there that God said, I'm going to destroy all of it. But God protected Noah and his family. Lot and his family living in those wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and God destroyed them. But he protected Lot and his wife and his daughters. I'm just saying, God's able to take care of you. There's nothing that could come into your life that you, you don't have need to fear. Trust God. Endure. Stay faithful. Stand strong. Listen, Christian friend, this whole message is about this. It's not getting any easier to live for God in this world. Stand strong. Trust God. Understand there's reward out there ahead. Your world is not here. Your hope, listen, please, I hope that you hear this. Your hope, if you are a child of God, does not rest in what's happening in Washington, D.C. Our hope is to be in God and His Word. And you can trust Him today, tomorrow, just like you always have. Trust God Live for God. Stand up. Do what is right. Stand for truth. Speak the truth. Be bold in your witness for Christ because God is able. 